Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is the Big Ten Show brought to you by Bookmaker. Find them today online at bookmaker.eu with all the lines for football, basketball, baseball, hockey, everything you need. And you get a $300 free play by just tweeting them bookmaker underscore EU, telling them you signed up after listening to the Big Ten Show, bookmaker.eu. Welcome into another edition of the Big Ten Show. He's the almost famous Adam Carricker, former NFL defensive end. I am the much less famous Jeff Turn. As we get ready for what should be a spectacular weekend of Big Ten football with so much on the line, including that Ohio State-Michigan game. How you doing, Adam? I'm glorious, dude. Thanksgiving week is my favorite week of the year. Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday. Let's light this candle. So the Ohio State-Michigan game is the game. It's the, the biggest rivalry stacked up next to things like Auburn-Alabama, maybe USC-Notre Dame. But real quick, when you were playing, what was the biggest rivalry game for you? Oh, well, the game at the end, like that I played in or that just was in college No, football? you played it. So it was supposed to be, you know, being a Nebraska guy, I was supposed to be Colorado. Um, I mean, seriously, we look at them as the little brother. They hate us. Okay, they won't even allow red in their football building. It always meant more to me for one reason. My sister, older sister, married into a Colorado family, and they did nothing but this all year round. So if you go back and look at my career, three of my best games are against Colorado, not because I cared about Colorado, but because I didn't want to hear this all year round. Now you take that one family out of the equation, and they're, they're awesome. But you take them out of the equation, to, I hated Texas, okay? And when we got the opportunity to play Oklahoma, that still felt like the big rivalry to me as a Nebraska guy. So I didn't obviously play college football. For me, as a Miami fan, it was always Miami and Florida State. Like, yeah, yep. nothing, nothing compared to that week as a fan, and I'm sure Ohio State and Michigan fans – Feel the same this week. We got a special guest joining us today, Dr. Scott Strasberger, uh, orthopedic surgeon, Syracuse Area Health. We're going to talk about some injuries in football and, and how players come back. Blake Corum is one of those that came back. Remember, he only played two games, uh, two uh, plays in this game a year ago and did not play in the college football playoffs. We're going to ask about some of those things. He'll be joining us in a little bit. But I do want to start with that game because heading in, we've been talking about it all year. It was going to be awesome. ESPN Analytics has Michigan as a 55% chance to win this game. It's supposed to be on Saturday, 37, partly cloudy in Ann Arbor. According to ESPN bet, uh, Michigan is minus three, total 46 and a half. And as we know, Michigan has won the last two uh, matchups between these teams. Ohio State ranked second, Michigan ranked third. Both teams are undefeated. Both teams have eight no records in conference. Both teams are 11 and 0. If I was to say, give me some early thoughts on what will be X factors for either team, what comes to mind? For me, I wrote down four things here. Okay, so I went back and I looked at Ohio State's schedule because they've not been uber impressive when you just watch them from an do they impress me standpoint. The answer is no. And, and they've got the win over Notre Dame, which now is a three-loss team, and it was a three-point win at the end of the, end of the game when Notre Dame chose to play uh, with 10 guys on the field. And then they were clearly the better team versus Penn State. They looked like they were way better than eight points better than Penn State, yet they only won 20-12, to 12, yet they only beat Notre Dame 17-14. Here's the deal. I know Ohio State's a good football team. I know they're one of the top 10 teams in the country. I just, I've never bought into them being a legit CFP contender just yet. Now you look at Michigan, you look at Ohio State. 
Okay, I think J.J. McCarthy gives Michigan a huge advantage over Ohio State and Blake Corum. If you remember that Penn State game, Blake Corum actually didn't look good. It was Marvin Harrison that was kind of saving their bacon on offense because he had some erratic throws. Now, he had the big drive at the end versus Notre Dame. Got to give him kudos there. I think the offensive line for Michigan is just a lot better than Ohio State's. I think Michigan, up until the Penn State game, they'd actually been winning games by throwing the ball. I don't think people even realize that. Then Penn State, all of a sudden, really good defense. Uh, we're just going to line up 55,000 O-linemen as tight ends, and we're just never going to throw the ball in the second half, and we can beat you that way. So to me, that's something that Michigan can do that I don't know that Ohio State's going to be able to do. Ohio State's defense will keep them in this game and give them a shot. Michigan's defense is obviously very good, maybe better, okay, but it's it's their skill guys on offense. Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, their skill guys on offense and their defense keeping it close is what's going to keep this game interesting, in my opinion. What say you? You know, I think time of possession is going to be huge here, keeping the ball out of it. And I know you you meant to say McCord in that game against Penn State. You got Blake Corum on your mind. You said oh, Blake sorry. Corum. No, I <laughs> just bad. wanted to make sure that we understand Blake Corum's not throwing the ball to Marvin Harrison. <laughs> Yes, that would, be, that that. would be very unique. And he may on a flea flicker somehow <laughs> Marvin Harrison's playing defense. We don't know. Things crazy happened in this game. Yep. But in, in all seriousness, I think the ability, and we saw in the second half for Michigan against Penn State where they ran the ball every single time. They did not pass one time. That they're going to be able to maybe control possession and the clock. And by doing so, they keep that high-powered uh, wide receiver duo off the field. And by doing so... I think they can really wear down that defense of Ohio State. The last couple of years, Ohio State's defense hasn't been as good as it is this year. And I also think, too, you know, this is maybe the one game where Harbaugh's absence may come into play a little bit more because Ryan Day is a really good head coach. You and I talk about that all the time. And maybe some of the in-game adjustments that you would normally see from Harbaugh uh, aren't going to be applicable in this game. And so maybe Ryan Day can make those adjustments and that would be very fascinating I think to see sort of how that plays out as the game goes on because these last two games I really haven't felt like Harbaugh's absence has messed with Michigan you make a great point with Harbaugh because I do think Ryan Day is a really good coach despite all the heat that he's taken over the years due to incredibly high expectations being handed what Urban Meyer had built so on and so forth he is a very good in-game coach and Michigan's going to be without Harbaugh although it was their offensive coordinator the Wolverines that that decided to, hey, let's just run the ball a million times. Let's line up 50,000 O-linemen as tight ends, and let's do this, and it worked because he knew it would. Here's the other thing I think people forget. People are like, man, Michigan won the last two years in a row. They've won by 20, I think it was 15, and then 22, if I'm correct, a year ago. Like, it's been double digits, multiple possessions. The, the score has been separated by. But halfway into the fourth quarter last year, it was a one-score game. Okay, right. and a couple of years ago, it wasn't really until late in the second half that Michigan pulled away to win by 15 and pulled away to win by 20-plus. So I wonder if part of that was, was a toughness thing for Ohio State, but also motivation. They have to be insanely motivated. They have to be sick and tired of hearing guys like me who've been saying what I've been saying all year that I don't know that they're that good. Everyone's talking about how Michigan's tougher. They got to be uber motivated to go out and win this game, too. No, I agree with you. And I'm going to have you real quickly take your pick here. Who has more passing yards this year, McCord or McCarthy? Well, I'm going to go with McCarthy. Just you're right. You're, you're, you're play all of every game. You're incorrect. Um, uh, McCord has 2,899 yards passing. McCarthy has 2,300. Who has more touchdowns, McCord or McCarthy? Well, I'm going to go with McCord. Yep, 22 to, touchdowns yeah. to yeah. 18 of McCarthy. Who has more yeah. interceptions? McCarthy takes care of the ball really well. 
So I'm going to go with McCord. Uh, incorrect. They both have four. How many more touchdowns does Corum have than Henderson? So, okay. All right. In my defense, we had an incredibly late night last night. No, no, I just, always, just, no, no, I, no. just I, I always show up to every show insanely overprepared to the point to where you roll your eyes at me. The one day I get up 30 minutes before the show, and I've still got two pages of notes here. No, I want just to answer the question. And I'm like, Jeff is always very topical. He never want to go in depth. And then you want to go in depth the one How time. How many I'm more there. touchdowns does Coram have than Henderson? Rushing the football. Well, Henderson's been banged up, although Coram shares carries with Donovan Edwards. I, I feel like you're giving me a trick question. I'm going to go with Henderson has more. No, not even close. Coram has double, 20 to 10. Okay, here's the final one, okay? Who has uh, Marvin Harrison has more touchdowns than Roman Wilson, but you would think it'd be more than what it is. How many more touchdowns does Harrison have than Wilson receiving? I don't know, but the next time you do this, you got to give me a heads up because you're always the guy that never wants to go into it's, it's, it's about time after all these episodes, I think we're on to episode 40, that I hit you with the stats and I throw you off a little bit. So, no, I, yeah, but I, you I look at them, I don't quiz you on them. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I know, I know, that's, but I do. So that's what I love about this. Um, you're you're going to see the passing game for Ohio State, as you mentioned, and I wanted to bring that up because I think you're exactly right. And then you're going to see the running game for Michigan, and those two stylistic offenses that are different from each other are going to collide, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Real quick, what's your pick for the game? Well, I'm going to go with Michigan. I've I've, I've I Obviously, I've not been on top of the stats, but I've watched a ton of football <laughs> with both these two teams, whether it's the Penn State game for both teams, whether it's Maryland, whether it's Rutgers with Ohio State a couple of weeks ago, whether it's – I've watched a ton of football with both these teams. I'm going to go with Michigan. I think they're more diverse on offense. I think their old line's better. Um, and I think – I do think having the home field advantage is going to help them just a little bit. I don't think it'll be a route. I don't nope. think it'll be 15 or 22. Um, but I'm going to go with Michigan. I'm going to go with Michigan as well. Should be a lot of fun coming up on Saturday. We're going to get to the entire slate of Saturday games in just a second, but excited to be joined by our special guest today, orthopedic surgeon at Syracuse Area Health. Dr. Scott Strasberger joins us now on the Big Ten Show. Uh, Scott, welcome in, man. How you doing today? Hey, Jeff. Thanks. Uh, great to be with you again. Hey, man, we are happy to have you on the show, and we're going to jump around to a lot of different things, but your expertise, I think, in today's game where we see injuries but recovering from injuries quicker than we've ever seen before is is pretty fascinating for the average fan and it's applicable I think to some games coming up this weekend I want to start with Blake Corum because a year ago in this game between Ohio State and Michigan he only played two plays and the report was he tore his meniscus didn't play in the uh, college football playoff but comes back this year and has 20 touchdowns um, for the average fan that hears meniscus versus ACL what are the major differences from recovering from that injury and coming back to playing running back in college football? Well, obviously coming back and playing college football is a significantly different situation than the meniscus we typically think about. A lot of times when we hear about meniscus tears, we're thinking about guys from your age to my age, and, and they literally get these degenerative tears where the meniscus starts to age a little bit. And in that uh, circumstance, we just go in there and simply remove the disease portion of the meniscus. In younger athletes, you know, guys in their teens and early 20s, when you hear about a meniscus injury, 
we're usually talking about a main chunk of the meniscus, some significant substance of the meniscus. And in that incidence, we like to consider repairing that. We don't like to take out uh, meniscus tissue in young healthy athletes because then you start to alter the contact pressures of the knee. And then that's when early degenerative changes can be seen. Meniscus injuries are associated with ACL injuries commonly. And a lot of times it's, it's not the ACL injury that determines the recovery. A lot of times it's the secondary trauma, the trauma to the meniscus more important than the ACL injury itself. So he went through a pretty standard recovery, his uh, performance this year. I mean, the kid's a phenomenal athlete. His performance doesn't you know, surprise me. He's gone through an adequate recovery period. You know, the meniscus heals in a similar fashion um, recovery-wise to an ACL. Uh, the meniscus doesn't have a great blood supply, so oftentimes it takes 12 to 16 weeks for that meniscus to fully recover. But I'm not surprised by the performance this year at all. So for a guy like me who has a meniscus tear, because I've, I've lived with it for nine years, I'm just sick of having surgeries, I've had 11, I got a turkey bowl. This is a big deal in my house in two days. How cautious should I be with my meniscus tear? I've played with it for the past nine years, but I want to feel like I can walk the next day after the turkey bowl. What are some of the precautionary things I can do before the game and after the game so I can feel better? Well, the problem with you, Adam, is your competitiveness. I don't care who probably shows up for for that game on Thursday, but uh, it, you know the intensity of your play will determine uh, probably the likeliness that you will be limping around Friday morning. I well, we'll it. ignore the fact that I haven't worked out for six months. Okay, serious question: the knee brace. Yeah, as a former D lineman. I, I would watch these offensive linemen, and they had to wear these knee braces. It was mandated by the head coach, okay? And then we I actually had to wear them for one spring, okay? And then they got rid of them, thank God, because I hated them. How much of a difference can those knee braces make for the offensive linemen when they put them on as far as, <clears throat> excuse me, as far as protecting their knees from meniscus tears, ACL tears, and the like? Well, the studies actually show that in linemen, uh, the injury that probably is prevented or protected the most is MCL injuries. You know, the linemen, oftentimes they're standing the guy up and a second athlete falls on the outside of their knee and they get an MCL injury. So that's probably the, the, the studies shown that wearing braces for linemen can help prevent or lower the, the severity of that injury. As far as ACL injuries and meniscus injuries, braces probably help the coaches and the parents more than they do the athlete. Um, <laughs> braces really haven't been shown to significantly decrease the incidence of ACL injuries in football players um, or any of the other pivoting sports. This is the Big Ten Show here on the Believe Podcast Network, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, of course on Sports Illustrated, Bally's 93.7, the ticket there in Lincoln, and uh, of course, you guys can always download at any time. Uh, Dr. Scott Strasberger with us here, orthopedic surgeon at Syracuse Area Health. You know, a big hot topic in football over the last handful of years has been the difference on what they play on, from turf to grass to the hybrid stuff that we see out there. What are you guys seeing as far as the correlation from the surface that people play on to the number of injuries that we're seeing out there on the field? Well, the surfaces are a very important factor. Um, the surface we used to play on at Nebraska uh, was incredibly sticky. So 
the new surfaces, especially the new artificial surfaces, Jeff, have a, a built-in forgiveness. They have certain materials they put in the in the artificial turf, um, and also with some of the, these other turfs that they're using, that allows for a little bit of forgiveness. That's really important for decreasing the incidence of pivoting injuries. You know, which typically, if you see athletes get injured on a surface like that, they're often non-contact where the patient is just planting their foot and the ligament gives way. But the true decrease in injury is seen with concussions. You're not seeing the bounce off the surface that we used to see. You know, we're seeing progression uh, in the technology of helmets, but the progression in the technology of turf has been vitally important in decreasing the incidence of concussions. I'm curious specifically about a team like Nebraska because they've had such a crazy amount of injuries on their offense. Okay, they've only got – as of a couple of weeks ago, they only had four day one starters that were healthy enough to start. Now, they've had some guys come back since then, but they were down to their third string quarterback. Part of that was due to the first two guys being hurt. Part of that was by choice. Their fourth string quarterback is now starting because their first, I'm sorry, running back is now starting because their top two running backs were out. The third guy having issues hanging on with the ball. 60% of their old line was out at one point. Two of their top wide receivers was out. So my question is, is something like that, is it just a little bit, is it fluky? Is it bad luck? Does that come back to the strength of conditioning? Like what in your opinion would lead to a team have so many injuries on one side of the ball in one season? You know, football is a contact sport, Adam, you know this, and and we have had bad luck. Uh, you know, most teams practice in a similar fashion nowadays. So the incidence of injuries in practice, um, can be variable depending on the intensity of your practice. I once had a high school uh, soccer team, uh, parents start, and coaches start calling me because they had seven girls in one season tear their ACLs. Wow. That's not training. That's not coaching. That's just bad luck. You know, you, you put a bunch of kids out on the field and they start running at each other. Things happen. Uh, so we haven't had great luck with, with regard to the injury bug this year. Uh, most of that is just bad luck. You know, Obviously, the better conditioned athlete will sustain injuries um, less than a, a non-trained athlete. But this year, we've just had a lot of bad luck. Dr. Scott Strasberger with us here, orthopedic surgeon, Syracuse Area Health, uh, getting a lot of great information. We got about 60 seconds left, and I want to end on this. It has nothing to do with college football. But there is a man in the NFL that tore his Achilles back at the beginning of September and yesterday it was reported that Aaron Rodgers was jogging around and in the next two weeks he's going to be back at practice and he wants to come play some football as long as the Jets are in it. This defies like logic, science, and everything else. Is this man going to put himself in harm's way? Like what is going on with Aaron Rodgers' Achilles that is different than every other human to walk this planet? Well, Aaron's Achilles injury was a low injury and, and because of that they were able to augment or reinforce the repair using a new technique uh, that's been developed. Uh, we put a suture in there that helps stabilize the torn ligament a little bit more securely than we have in the past. And this allows a much greater uh, or much more intense and, and quicker recovery. Uh, in the old days, you're absolutely right, Jeff. We used to put people in a short leg cast uh, for three to six months. Sometimes they'd even put it in a cast that went up to your groin. We didn't start any rehab uh, activity for at least six to 12 weeks, sometimes even 18 weeks. And we were looking at a year-long recovery. With Aaron's situation, um, he came out of his cast at two weeks or out of 
a little bit less than that, and started range of motion. And we've actually found that some of these injuries heal a bit a little bit more quickly and a little bit more securely if we stress them during the recovery. So the worst thing you can do for some of these tendon injuries is completely immobilize them. So allowing Aaron to be a little bit more aggressive has allowed him to come back. And it, and granted, they will be incredibly careful with his recovery. But, you know, there are certain circumstances now where we can be much more aggressive. And I bet you see Aaron play, you know, before the end of the year. Unbelievable, man. Uh, modern technology, man. Medicine, mm -hmm. it is awesome. Uh, these two ding-dongs just became much more smarter, Scott. Thank you so much for giving us all this information, man. Uh, you have a wonderful weekend and hope to do it again. Thanks so much, Scott. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the show, guys. Thanks. Dr. Scott Strasberger joining us from Syracuse Area Health, orthopedic surgeon. Uh, unbelievable, man. Great information there. Adam, we got about four or five minutes left in the show. But uh, real quick on the, on the Rodgers thing, man, like, you played this game. You had teammates that tore Achilles, I'm sure, at some point. The fact that he that he may play like three, four months, not even three months after he ended up tearing that Achilles is insane in that game. It's it's mind-blowing to me. It's it's almost like I'm watching an unrealistic movie. Like, oh, you know it's a movie because that's not realistic. That's that's almost how this feels. Plus, this isn't a 22-year-old guy. This guy's been in the league for about a minute times 80 minutes. Okay, by the way, I'm not this ding dong is now terrified to play in the turkey bowl because he talked about being in shape athletes won't get hurt. I'm screwed. Uh, you are screwed, man. <laughs> I'm Absolutely. In trouble, man. Yeah, you're definitely screwed. This is the Big Ten Show brought to you by Jacobson Seed Company, your healthy hybrid advantage. Check out our friends at jacobsonseed.com. Appreciate that interview. That was great. All right, let's run through these games quick, man. We got a few minutes. Uh, with all due respect to Indiana and Purdue, outside of Indiana and Purdue, uh, the parents, and I don't even think the fans care anymore. Uh, Purdue is minus three and a half. Uh, I'm just going to take Purdue to win the game. What are you, what are your, what's your pick? Such disrespect. This is the worst team in the big 10 West versus the worst team in the big 10 East. This is the anti big 10 championship. And I think Indiana loses it because they're going to win it, which means Purdue wins the title of the worst team in the big 10. Uh, and cause Indiana actually plays a little defense. The battle for the Northeast of the Big Ten happens on Saturday afternoon between Maryland and Rutgers. Both these teams are bowl eligible. They're just trying to get to a better bowl with their seventh win of the season. And I think that kind of puts Maryland on par with where they thought they'd be, maybe a little bit below it. But Rutgers, I think, to get to seven wins would be above par. That means they pick up their fourth win in the Big Ten. Maryland on the road is a one-point favorite. I like Maryland to win this game with their passing attack. Pretty much identical seasons, both six and five, both three and five. In the Big Ten, Maryland's lost five of six. That only one was versus Nebraska. This is game is being played up in Piscataway. The only team that here that plays defense is Rutgers. I'm going with Rutgers. The battle for Illinois, Northwestern and Illinois. Illinois has to win to become bowl eligible. They're at home and are a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Everybody has slept on Northwestern all year long, and rightfully so in a lot of cases. But I think they get their seventh win of the season. I think that they're able to force some turnovers. Uh, the Illinois quarterback has thrown 13 touchdowns, but also thrown 10 interceptions. I think they get a couple of picks. I think they increase that number to 12. And I think the five and a half point underdog, the Wildcats, get to seven wins. Who would have thunk it? I was surprised to see, first of all, that Illinois was favored. Then the spread is five and a half. The word ridiculous entered my mind. Now, they might win, but I was like, wow. I've been saying it for two to three weeks. Northwestern gets their seventh win, and uh, they beat Illinois. Final game that we're going to hit on, Wisconsin and Minnesota. The battle for Paul Bunyan's axe. Uh, Minnesota has to win to become bowl eligible. 
and, and even becoming bowl eligible, I think it's a disappointing season considering what Minnesota was hoping to accomplish with that schedule. Uh, they take on Wisconsin. They are home for that game at Huntington Bank Stadium. Wisconsin is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm taking the Gophers at home to win this game and get bowl eligible. The fighting P.J. Flex, row the boat and take the axe. All right, so this game is at home. I don't. I, I said it before the year. I didn't think Minnesota was all that talented, even though they are well-coached. I think Wisconsin is more talented, probably well-coached. I think we're still learning about Luke Fickle, but the biggest thing is Wisconsin is healthy. Tanner Mordecai is back. Braylon Allen is back. I'm going with Wisconsin. There you have it. There's the run-through. There's all the games. We're both going Michigan in the game. We'll see what happens with Complete Reaction on the Big Ten Show. Find us on all those places we mentioned and make sure to check out our friends at Jacobson Seed, jacobsonseed.com for your healthy hybrid advantage. As another page has turned here on the Big Ten Show, he's the almost famous Adam character. I'm the much less famous Jeff Turd. Enjoy the football, everybody.